it's so important to prep your body. And they say even 100 days prior to conception, you're carrying that level of toxicity, that level of you into your baby, even if you conceive 100 days after. So make sure you're planning for that. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Ooh, That Sex Check listeners, y'all in for a treat today, because not only am I speaking to someone about a subject that I'm very curious about myself, But you're going to get to hear from someone who's actually been through coaching with Sex and Love Co. So Dr. Jacques, we get to have a chat about fertility today, which I'm stoked about because I have questions. And I told you before I hit record, I was like, I have questions. You go, I have answers. And I go, just make it up if you don't know the answer. I'm sure it's better than Google regardless. Um, And then, of course, like the, the coach in me. The person who runs, you know, the company that you decided to work with, that feels so special. Um, I would love to, you know, I would love to hear like how it went. Cause I think you give referrals (laughs) to us now, which feels really special. Yeah. Yeah. No. uh, Well, thanks for having me on there. But in terms of uh, like sex, love and co and everything, you know, with how, how Megan and I even came across you, my wife and I came across you. I, I think she was listening to your podcast for a while and I'm just like a usually like born blue collar, like keep my head down and work, work, work. And then she was like, I think you need to listen to this podcast. And I listened to to one of the episodes. I'm like, what are you getting at here? Like, I feel like you're fishing for something. She's like, would you want to do this with me? And I'm like, do something to better our relationship and our sex. Like, it sounds like a no brainer. Like, yeah, absolutely. So we've been able to, you know, go through that and really improve our relationship. And then, you know, with a lot of like the fertility side of things, a lot of people take the the joy out of the sex and the relationship and it just becomes another job or like an extension of their job. So then we're able to refer people to you guys to really be able to bring that joy back and allow it to be an enjoyable experience, bring life into the world, and then be able to have that carried over once they have children as well. Just love it all. <laughs> it just feels good. So good. Not just, it feels so good. Ah, all right. So now that I, I got the validation out of the way and the feel good feels out of the way. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be plenty more to come. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to uh, hear from you and have you share with our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So uh, my name is Doc Jock. Um, I was trained as a chiropractor, um, came out of chiropractic school had uh, some different health challenges myself. Um, the first one I had was back in 2009. I had a subdural hematoma, almost died because I got jumped in Pittsburgh. So I wasn't able to use like my arms and legs or anything like that. I was in intensive care for like three days on a morphine drip. And uh, then went to chiropractic school like three weeks after that and was told to drop out of chiropractic school because I couldn't tell the difference between a cold piece of metal and a chapstick container which not very good. Um, so they're like, you're never going to be able to use your hands, like just drop out. And they're like, you're going to need like a $250,000 spinal cord surgery. And I'm like, no, like that's not what I want to do. So I went through all of chiropractic school and kind of like that underdog mentality is something that I've always kind of had, um, which is why a lot of people will come to me when they've been everywhere else. And like, I don't know if you could do anything, but here's what I got. So I, I come out of school. I start uh, working with one of the, the top uh, clinics, chiropractic clinics in the, in the world, one of the highest volumes. And I was seeing patients go in and out of the office and, you know, with adjusting, we could bring a certain level of vitality back to health. But then there were certain people that 
just kind of seemed like they were doing okay or like every month we'd see them and their health would just keep declining. And like, what, what are we missing? Like, what's the missing link that I'm seeing here? And so I remember a story of when I'm just fast forwarding because this story could take like an hour, but we ended up uh, learning more about like additional testing, gut health testing, food testing, hormone testing. And I remember leaving Houston and going back up to Pittsburgh and starting my practice up there and a parent of a patient there, she was a patient as well. She had gone downhill really quickly. They'd reached out and they're like, can you help mom out? And I'm like, well, what's going on? They're like, well, she hasn't gone to the bathroom in like a week or so. And like, we don't know what's going on. I'm like, well, let's run some tests. Let's figure out what what it is. So they were going in and out and they got the test. They were finally able to have her have a bowel movement through hospice. They were able to kind of induce that to get a sample. And I remember getting a phone call and they're like, did you get the sample back yet? I'm like, not yet. It takes about two weeks. And they're like, well, mom's in and out of a coma. I'm like, ah, shoot. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I ended up getting a fax and it was like my office at the time was just like super bare basics. Like I didn't even know I had a fax machine and I got a fax that came across that had confidential written across like diagonally. Like what happened? Like what's going on? And it was basically like, hey, uh, your patient tested positive for a certain strain of bacteria. It's life-threatening. Like I'm almost getting emotional about it. You can probably see where the story is going. By the time I got that information to the patient, the patient had already passed. So... It's it is an emotional thing. Like I'll never forget that patient, but that's it. That that moment was what kind of brought me into that realization that you know we really have to approach the body as a whole. And so I dedicated myself. Yes, I'm still a chiropractor, but I dove into naturopathic healing, traditional Chinese herbs and medicine, ancient traditions of healing, uh, functional medicine courses, like any course I could possibly get my hands on to find any weaknesses in anything. It's what I've really been able to dedicate my life into. And so that's what I do. I have a a, a telemedicine or telehealth clinic um, we run out of Arizona. This is my office right here in my home. And I have patients all across the country. And I help them from anything as simple as, hey, I just want to be the best version of myself to infertility or mold toxicity or gut health or something of that nature. Any health buzzword you've heard, I help with. Yeah. That is very emotional. Yeah, it is. And, and definitely stands out for sure. Yeah. Wow. Of course, this is not a show to go into dragging down Western medicine and the health system yeah. and all of that stuff. But I'm sure that you've seen, I've shared it pretty publicly that I have gone through my own journey. I'm still in the midst of my own journey. And a lot of it was spurred upon this, um, was spurred upon for me. If I wouldn't do it for myself, then I will do it for the the body, the vessel that is hopefully in theory going to bring in my children. And, right. and I will do it for my partner because I got to a place where my body, I just started to think this is what I do. This is how I live. This is just the way that my body functions and operates. And so, you know, I tried a little, this, a little, that, you know, stretch that across a decade and like, Oh, I've just, this is who I am now. And then eventually got to a place where Jordan, my husband was like, this is affecting our relationship. Your health is affecting our relationship. You know, like it's not just, it's like mood imbalances and bloating and discomfort and constipation and all of this stuff. And he's like, I need you to take care of this, really take care of this for us. And it was really that conversation. And I'm so impressed by him. I won't say proud. I won't take any ownership of, of it, but 
I'm impressed that he was able to share that with me from such a heartfelt place and not like a, you need to do something about this or like, we're done. Like it, it had yeah. no edge of that in it at all. It was more like, like for you and for us, this, this needs to, this needs to change. And then for me, that was maybe the first aha. Uh-huh. And then the second was being surrounded by people in Austin that take their health really sincerely and seriously and being surrounded by a bunch of women and, and couples where the women were preparing for pregnancy. I'd never been around people that had prepared their body for pregnancy. It's like, oh yeah, every single thing in your body is going to like reconfigure itself and you're going to stretch and you're going to gain all this weight and you're going to do all these <laughs> things. Like why not prepare for it? It was such a novel concept. And I have, you know, friends that, that had autoimmune challenges and that was what put them into the, on the path of uh, more naturopathic functional medicine. So I have a friend that was preparing for pregnancy that has Hashimoto's. And so working with her thyroid and then watching her prepare before even trying to conceive, it was like, no, I want certain markers in this realm before we even have like, before they, they use the term green light, we've got the green light go, (laughs) you know? And then, you know, other friends that are completely and totally the healthiest people I've ever experienced. You know, I have a, a, a couple that we're friends with that she used to be a competitive weightlifter and he's a two-time gold medalist CrossFit <laughs> dude. Yeah. Um, and I look at them and they are the healthiest creatures and they're so strong. And she still did all of this testing and come to find out in the prep work, she realized that her thyroid, there was going to be something, should she get pregnant, she was going to have to look at, but she mm-hmm. found it preconception. And so it changed what she did during conception. And my mind was just like, it just exploded. I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, this is a whole other set of stuff I can do. And little did I know at the time that being exposed to all of this, I was like, oh, I actually, because I can prepare and I can prepare years ahead of time, feel more grounded in the decision to even have children. It's like, oh, if I can do this way before they're even conceived. Like it just changed the way that I look at the whole process. Yeah. I mean, it has, it has an empowerment piece to it. And it, it, I mean, from, I'm a very logical person and just logically speaking, like if you're going to go out and you're going to play a sport, what do you do before you play the sport? You warm up, you practice, you prep, and then you go. And again, nothing to, to bad mouth Western medicine or anything, but their, their form of care is typically going to be basically reactive. And right. so like you get pregnant, it's like, oh shit, you got pregnant. Uh, now what do we do? We got to, we got to figure this out. And they treat, a lot of times they treat pregnancies like it's an illness and they're just waiting to cut it out of your body. And that's what my patients have experienced, whether they've gone that route to begin with before they come to me, or they just feel like they've been, you know, let or pushed aside. It's just, I just get so fired up about it. Cause another story, like my wife and I, Megan and I, we had issues. We had a, a miscarriage, um, the month before we had our son. And this is where I built like my fertility triad, which we could talk into and make sure that you're addressing all these things too. But again, like just from a fundamental standpoint, what's super unique is when people embark on this fertility journey, they're used to hearing the certain language, the certain blood marker tests and the certain things that doctors will test for. When they talk about hormones, there's only usually a couple hormones that people will talk about, progesterone, testosterone, estradiol. Those are like usually the, the three that they'll test or occasionally they'll, they'll run like thyroid markers, but even then thyroid panels are pretty uh, insufficient because they'll only run a couple markers there. 
And it's just when, when they come to me and I'm like, well, that's great, but you were doing what I consider to be symptom testing mm-hmm. and not cause testing. It's great that those numbers look that way. That's great to know that information, but tell me why that's happening. Is it your diet? Is it your lifestyle? Is it an infection? Are you too stressed? Are you toxic? What is it that made your body adapt and respond the way that it has? And how can we fix that to make your body healthy? That's what we do. Uh, yes. And <laughs> yes, yes. And I feel like there's probably so many people that are going to be listening to this podcast that, that this episode that will have never heard of a lot of the things that we're about to talk about. And that feels yeah. really, I'm really proud of that. I'm really, I feel a lot of purpose in getting this information out that, you know, before for Jordan and I even starting this whole conception thing, I, the biggest thing that came out for me was stuff that had to do with my gut. And so I had my gallbladder removed when I was 17. I was a senior in high school. So it was the summer after I graduated from high school. And they told me, so I had a gallbladder attack. My gallbladder was full of stones, which are crystallized Mm -hmm. cholesterol. And they told me that I, so it was the most excruciating pain I still to date have ever experienced. And I've had people who have had, you know, unmedicated labor pains and contractions and also gallbladder attacks and or other types of really painful things and have Mm -hmm. said gallbladder attacks are up there and so basically one of the little stones blocks the duct and then when Mm -hmm. it's contracting um, to squeeze out bile to help with the digestive process that little duct gets blocked and causes excruciating pain so that happened to me at 17 and I had no markers like there was no reason why I in theory should have had that at that time Mm -hmm. and so uh, you know, I went into the emergency room and the, and the, and I'm, it's the first time my mom ever heard me say the word fuck. I was in the emergency room and I'm in so much pain and my mom's like frantic and she's trying to like f- figure something out for me and she's at the desk yeah. and they're just, they just, they keep making me wait in the waiting room, the emergency room and the 17 year old me, of course, this is not my finest moment by any means, <laughs> but I'm like, my mom goes back to the lady. And the lady's like, you have to wait. And I just shout across the waiting room. This is a fucking emergency room. How are you making me wait? My mom comes back. We sit there a little longer. And all of a sudden the gallbladder attack passes. And I feel fine. And I look over at my mom. They still hadn't taken me in. I look over at my mom and I say, I think I'm better. Let's go. Like, let's go home. And she goes, oh, hell no. You are, we're absolutely not going home. She's like, you're yeah. seeing that doctor. You did not see what, like, you're seeing that doctor. I go in, and of course, they originally are like, it was probably gas. You know, like, mm-hmm. that's like the original the thing is like, dismissal, yeah. Dismissal, right? But the doctor, there was something, and the doctor goes, but because of the way that you describe this pain, <laughs> we're going to do an ultrasound just to be safe. Yeah. Comes back with the ultrasound. I'm just chilling and I'm embarrassed. I'm like, I'm embarrassed of my actions. I'm embarrassed that that hurt yeah. so bad. I'm like, did I just need to fart? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> figure it. Like, it just didn't make any sense. And yeah. the doctor comes back and he's like, I'm really glad that we did that ultrasound and puts the thing on the screen and is like, you have a bunch of gallstones. They tell me that the only option I have is to get it removed. And so we wait until the end of my senior year, schedule surgery. It actually affected me going into college. So I wound up at a community college. I could stay home and recover. And then I wound up going to USM um, after my recovery and for my second, uh, my sophomore year. But that's like kind of the long story. But that, that 
was something that I think really was a lead domino. I mean, whatever was the precursor to that was really the lead mm-hmm. domino, but that really yeah. was the lead domino that like fast forward me into my thirties. I have no idea what's going on in there. And they yeah. told me you can live without this. Yeah, sure. I'm living a life, but this life is kind of fucked. Yeah. You know, everything I mm-hmm. eat, I feel is like a little ticking time bomb because yeah. of the scenario that has been created now in my gut. You know, now this big piece is the thing that I'm also looking at with regards to fertility. Like this all mm-hmm. seems to be in the same, like I've got it all in the same bucket and I'm like, okay, what do I figure out next? And so I would, and I know that these things factor into some of what you teach and some of yeah. what you test for. And so I'm just going to stop talking. I have talking. a big smile on my face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to stop talking now. And yeah. I want to hear, I want to hear how you make all this stuff make sense. Our favorite place to shop for crystal, glass, and metal toys is Yoni Pleasure Palace. Sacred squirters, cervix serpents, Yoni eggs, prostate massagers, anal plugs and beaded wands, G-spot massagers, and something Jordan and I use all the time and even travel with, our plush, velvety, waterproof blanket. Every product feels so special when it comes from YPP. It's probably because of the care that is taken not only in the development of the toy, but in the packing and delivering of the toy. When you collect, because it's definitely a collection of sexy works of art, when you collect a new item, it comes with not only information on how to use it, but to also respect and revere it, along with cultivating respect and reverence for your own body and your own sexuality. I can't sing YPP's praises enough to add to your collection, visit yonipleasurepalace.com and make sure to use the code that sex chick, all one word, at checkout for 10% off your order. And pretty please, if you share your items on social media, tag me. I'd love to see what you choose and celebrate you. We'll just go back to the gallbladder scenario because there was like a point in time where that was like the hot surgery. Appendix, gallbladders, like you don't need them, you're fine, et cetera. And tonsils. And tonsils and adenoids, yeah, which like is insane. Parts of your body, yeah. you don't, you don't need that. Don't yeah, need it wasn't supposed to be there. Mulligan, um, <laughs> <laughs> but so when it comes to gallbladders, I've had people who were in your scenario where they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is such excruciating pain. I've got surgery scheduled in two weeks. Like, I can't wait to get this thing taken out." I'm like, "Let me get put you on this liver and gallbladder flush real quick." And have you ever heard of that? The, the Moritz, Andreas Morse liver and gallbladder flush? I mean, just general, but I also don't have it anymore. So people aren't, re- yeah. aren't, aren't suggesting these kinds of flushes typically because it isn't there. So it would still be beneficial. Okay, great. So the liver, and I'll explain it. So okay. um, it's one of like the safest flushes that have been around for a really long time. And it works with that common bile duct. And that's it. You have the liver and you have the gallbladder. And then you have these two tubes that come together and form the common bile duct. They have it in common. It's like a tunnel. And so what happens is, yes, a stone can get stuck in between there. But if you do something as simple as doing like coffee enemas, it can actually work on expanding the common bile duct. So that way, if you do happen to have a stone come out, the the common bile duct expands, it makes room for it, it drops into the colon, it gets pulled out of the body. So when you do the the cleanse properly, you do, um, whether it's apple juice or you do uh, pure malic acid, which softens the stones, you eat a certain way, and then you do a fat bomb, which is like four ounces of extra virgin olive oil, uh, four ounces of grapefruit juice, 
you drink that, go to sleep, and then your liver and gallbladder just starts purging out stones. You wake up the next morning and it's like you can build a house with the stones that come out. Gosh. And it's beneficial for people who have this happen. And I've had them get pulled off the surgery list because the surgeon will go do an ultrasound and be like, you don't have any stones left. It's like, well, no shit. We, we knocked them all out. And all you had to do was open that bile duct and dump them out. Right. But I was so, told that it's not possible. I mean, granted, right. you know, this is however many years ago. Can't do I can send you the book. This book is like an ancient type book. I'm telling you. And it could have, it, it was around back then. I promise you. And totally. It, I believe just, it. Yeah. And that's one of the things like for, for viewers and listeners out there, like if you are struggling with that, it's really important. That gallbladder is massively important. And when you're talking about a lead domino, you, do you know what the gallbladder, like the main purpose of the gallbladder is and what it does? Me? Yeah. Yes. Yes. It okay. releases, it stores and releases bile. To emulsify okay. fats. What? Yes. Okay. Yes. What yes. are fats used for? Yes. All kinds of things. Okay. In in terms of fertility, I'm putting you on the spot here. Oh, yeah. In yeah. I'm like, oh, God. Fertility. Okay. <laughs> Getting uneasy. Okay. Over there. okay. In terms of fertility, you need fat okay. for what? What's really important? What is, what's the number one thing tested for fertility? Uh, ovulation. Hormones. Eggs. Hormones. I'm, like, I'm just right. going to start throwing out. <laughs> <laughs> Just verbal, <laughs> verbal diarrhea. I, I eggs. don't know. Eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Scrambled eggs. What? No. Uh, but so you need, you need fat. You need, you right. need to be able to emulsify that fat in order to make hormones. So what I'll see a lot of the times is, is women who will get their, or even men too, they'll get their gallbladders removed. And if they're not put on like a bile acid or bile salt substance or something to help them to break down emulsify fats, you start having cognitive decline. Your brain doesn't function properly because you need fat for your brain, but your hormones start going crazy because you don't have the ability to be able to have that backbone, the cholesterol backbone to make hormones. So if we have an insufficient amount of hormones, we need more fat. If you can't break down the fat, you need to supplement that in so that way you can still eat that and not feel like you're a ticking time bomb every time you eat a food. It's crazy. So I also, maybe someone somewhere told me I had the 17-year-old me, 18-year-old me that I would maybe need to take bile salts. Let's just assume yeah. no one said it yeah. because I didn't know. It wasn't until Jordan and I were together and we've been together a little over, how long have we been together? Four years? Oh, Five years? Spot. Sorry, Jordan. Over four years? <laughs> Something like that. So I've only yeah. understood bile salts since we've been together. So it's mm -hmm. been that long since I've had the surgery. And I've only recently started taking bile salts and I started taking them because he looked it up and then he was like, he's the supplement dude. He's like, you, awesome. something's missing here. <laughs> so he gives it to me. But the, the thing is that that's over the last, like maybe three or four years that that came into the mix. And I've only been religious with it for probably the last eight months to 10 months. Wow. Okay. So I didn't know it was that important. I had no idea yeah. that it was that important. And the state of my insides that had been, you know, the vast majority of this length of time between when I had the surgery and now is what created a situation inside my gut that was just like off the charts. Mm -hmm. He said, this is important for hormones and all those things. And so, you know, if I look at, if I look at myself, if I look at like my individual situation, what, what it wound up creating, which I, I think that this is all, this all played a role. Cause it just makes sense. Dysbiosis, um, yep. and really like, the markers for SIBO were really, mm -hmm. really high. So yep. SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, right? The 
got bacteria from the lower intestine starts creeping up into the small intestines and then just like has a fucking party in there. Mm -hmm. You describe that a little bit more. I think I did an okay yeah. job. That's all I got though. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where are you going? Uh, yeah. So, so SIBO, it's really important to make sure that you do do a very good um, differentiation on what's causing the SIBO. Mm -hmm. And yes, having the gallbladder removed can absolutely have a tremendous impact on that. Another thing that I see a lot of times that will cause and or mimic SIBO symptoms is issues with the stomach. So whether that's history of acid reflux or uh, GERD or, um, you know, taking antacids or Tums or something like that to suppress that stomach acid, a lot of the times what will happen is you can develop a certain bacteria in there. It's one of the most common ones that I treat. It's Helicobacter pylori or H. pylori. Mm -hmm. And that can actually cause an improper digestion of food and you cannot sterilize and you won't be able to digest the food properly because it will suppress your stomach acid. And then that will allow for infected food to then inhabit your small intestine, mm -hmm. large intestine, find a huge overgrowth. And there's a bacteria that, I mean, it's perfectly named. It's called methanobacter and it's methane. So it's yes. another huge component of that. And I see it all the time when stomach acid drops, methanobacter goes up really high and there's your gasiness. You can have all of that all associated with the stomach as well as, yes, the gallbladder kind of flagging on that. Oh my goodness. It's just kind of wild. It's like clockwork, it like somewhere between four and 5 PM almost every day. I looked four months pregnant. Like, and yeah. it was like, don't even touch me. I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah. So irritable. So not, so like outside of what that could be doing as far as like general fertility, biologically mm -hmm. speaking, wants to have sex when they feel yeah. like when they, like the basic components of making a child is like, yeah. you need to do this thing. And it's like, I can barely roll over. Yeah. Like, it's just so uncomfortable. So basically what we're getting at here, and if I can round this out, is that it all <laughs> it all holistically matters. The mm -hmm. whole system. What is the yeah. what's the actual cause of the symptoms versus just treating the symptoms? Okay, TMI. But when is it not TMI over here at that sex chick? <laughs> so I ovulate on the full moon, and I have my period on the new moon witchy, right? My most recent period brought on some low-level headaches, cramping, and fatigue. And some cycles, it's a bit worse than others. Overall, I feel pretty fortunate that I've never had it all that bad with PMS or period symptoms. But occasionally, I do have it bad enough that my little holistic everything self starts considering the Advil liquid gels. If I can, though, my preference is to stay as natural with my products as I possibly can. This time around, my most recent cycle, I tried a really high-quality CBD-CBN blend to help with my cycle, and I was so pleased with how it supported me. I actually didn't have very high hopes, um, so when I noticed that the cramps and the headache actually started to subside and started to mellow out, I was really surprised and certainly relieved. Something that can also get a little wonky at various times in my cycle is my sleep. The past two months, I've tried a special sleep blend of CBD about 30 minutes before bed to support me in getting better, deeper sleep as well. Cured is swiftly taking over my medicine cabinet. I never thought super high quality CBD or CBN would be so beneficial in my life. Whether I'm taking it to help curb anxiety to give me a brain boost when it's partnered with adaptogenic mushrooms, 
whether it's to help me sleep better or even help my dogs chill the fuck out when company is over. I'm truly digging it. And I think you will too. To give Cured Nutrition a try, go to curednutrition.com. The code, that's XCHICK, will give you 10% off your order unless you're already scooping up a bundle that includes lots of savings. Once you give her a try, please reach out to me and let me know how it goes. I love having the space to introduce you to companies and products that I personally use and love. We, Sex and Love Co., have super high standards when it comes to collaborating with other companies and other brands. And as a small business owner myself, I also love having the opportunity to support other small businesses as well. So lessons and shift immediately like into fertility and what okay. you have deduced people come to you and they're maybe having challenges with that. Um, and maybe you can round loop it all in together, weave it all in together as far as like the rest of the body playing a role and a factor into that. Yeah. So uh, what I was talking about earlier was the the fertility triad that I made. And mm-hmm. it's something that I'm going to eventually have to trademark because somebody's going to try to steal it. But <laughs> but you have, um, you're either too stressed and we'll start with that one. Too stressed, there is a phenomenon that takes place in a body. And for those of you who are on a fertility journey, you know the word progesterone. It's the most common hormone that's going to be tested. It's what makes you cycle and it helps you keep the pregnancy as well, especially, especially through the first trimester. You have to have proper progesterone until the corpus luteum takes over itself. If you are chronically stressed, you have a phenomenon called a cortisol steal or a pregnenolone steal that takes place. And what it will do is actually steal all of your pregnenolone, which is a mother hormone that gives birth to all the other hormones. But you have pregnenolone, then you have progesterone. Progesterone breaks into cortisol. Cortisol breaks into cortisone. If you're constantly stressed and have a high demand of cortisol, it's stealing all of that and making more cortisol and therefore plummeting your progesterone. So I like the way that I look at hormones is there's no like end stage hormone. If you're low in progesterone, if I give you progesterone, but you're still stressed out, you're just allowing for more to be created into cortisol. So when you, when you see and hear about like the success rates of IVF, like they're abysmal, especially for how much you pay for it. And a lot of it is because they're not addressing the underlying reason why the progesterone is leaving you to begin with. Again, symptom testing and treating versus cause. Okay. So your two stress is, is a huge, huge, huge component of that. Not only that, but the stress component, it can lead into sleep disturbances, sleep disturbances, then you're not releasing proper growth hormone. You're constantly in a catabolic state. Your body starts cannibalizing itself. It can damage your gut again, release amino acids to be able to survive. And then you're just stuck in this realm of developing soon insulin resistance. With insulin resistance, then comes the weight gain. Then you can have the PCOS that starts taking place. Endometriosis can be a side derivative of that too, which is very common hormonal disorders in women. And it could just be stemmed from stress. So you reduce that, fix the blood sugar, get the insulin back, and then boom, your progesterone's back to normal. It's like, that makes sense. So that's the stress part in a super teeny tiny nutshell. The other one is you're infected. So just having the the term leaky gut or gut permeability, that causes inflammation to the, the uterine lining, which makes it really difficult for a proper implantation to take place because the tissues are already massively inflamed. So just leaky gut from poor diet or alcohol consumption or gluten consumption, that can cause issues with fertility. From the actual rate of infections, this is where like stress can affect men, but not quite as much as it does women because the, the progesterone, the pregnenolone is a little bit different. When it comes to the inf- 
infections. There are certain infections that can actually cause men to have a difficult time with their, their semen creation, whether it's poor morphology or motility. They can't just get there because of certain bacterial overgrowths due to maybe it was potentially too many antibiotics growing up or even as far back as like you weren't breastfed as a kid. These things can play a role in your inability to be able to have proper healthy semen. Same thing with women. Another common thing where we talk about like sexually transmitted infections, et cetera, like candida overgrowth, that's something that's really common that a lot of people struggle with, both men and women. And there's not like a direct correlation to candida 100% causing the inability to conceive, but it does change the vaginal mucosa and makes it unfavorable or inhabitable for semen to actually travel through and get through that. So that's another super common one that we'll see on tests or we'll see, you know, you'll have a white tongue or your fingernails will look like they have some fungus or your toenails. That'd be a sign that you have some sort of fungus is taking place in your body. So if you've, again, if you're on this fertility journey, you haven't had your stress, adrenals and hormones tested, you haven't had your gut tested, definitely start with those guys. Where things get into what I call the extracurriculars is the, the, your toxic portion. Okay. And this is, I mean, now more than ever, the amount of toxins that we're absorbing as Americans is embarrassing. Like it's, it's disgusting at this point. I think there's like over 270 toxins passed through to our baby just upon birth. Like it's, it's horrible. But when we're talking about toxins in particular, heavy metals is huge. Uh, we know about, you know, like the lead, the cadmium, um, aluminum can have effects on, on fertility as well. Fluoride can do the same thing. Uh, these types of things are super common in drinking water, pharmaceuticals, etc. The place I take it to the next level is the other most common thing that I see with, with infertility is mold toxicity. Mm-hmm. And with mold toxicity, people are like, what are you talking about? Mold to- like, that doesn't make any sense. If you're being exposed to mold while you are pregnant, you can have babies born with congenital malformations. They're not born properly. Whether it's visual, you're able to see it, or internally, things just weren't built right. The other thing that I'll see besides that, if you do get pregnant, you do conceive with it, is that you'll have a lot of unexplained miscarriages. Like Time and time again, you have no idea. I've had patients with DNCs done, and they're like, we just can't get freaking pregnant. I don't know what it is. And we test mold, and their, their mold is through the roof. And so there's, there's a common mold doesn't make it normal. A common mold that people will find called aspergillus and penicillium that you can test for in your home. And there's a, a, a byproduct of that, a toxin that's let off called mycophenolic acid, or they call it MPA. And what that does is it can cause recurrent candida overgrowth. It can cause UTIs, immune system suppression, and then miscarriages and congenital malformations. And if someone's not pregnant and they've got that, I'm like, listen, like this is it. We eliminate those toxins, which is easy to do. It takes some time. And then boom, they get pregnant and they have a super healthy, awesome kid on the other end. Because if you do go through with it, the other thing is you don't want to have a kid being born into a moldy home because they've got little baby lungs and they'll have all kinds of different issues, whether it's fussiness, colic, uh, again, yeast overgrowth, cradle cap that won't go away. And they have these struggling immune systems because you gave them a struggling immune system because it didn't fix yourself before you conceived. So I love that you said all of your people were like all about the, the prep. It's so important to prep your body. And they say even 100 days prior to conception, you're carrying that level of toxicity, that level of you into your baby, even if you conceive 100 days after. So make sure you're planning for that is, is my advice. So hopefully yeah. it doesn't in a nutshell for you. 
Whoa, <laughs> that just was like over here, then over there, and over here, and over there. And there was some really incredible words there. So permission for everyone. I normally listen to podcasts on 1.25 or 1. 1.5. Yeah. So this one, you can just go back to the normal or like or maybe half even half speed and like write some of those words down and bring them somewhere. I don't know. Google them yeah. first. Maybe don't Google them. Yeah. Don't Google them first. Just see, see, go to Dr. Jacques. Uh, it's, it's all telehealth and telemedicine. So yeah, yeah, just go there. So mold is certainly a thing that, that we talk about here because we, Mm -hmm. it's like subtropical, like it's Mm -hmm. super wet down in, well, just generally in this part of Texas, which I think a lot of Texas, I mean, we're, we're pretty close Mm -hmm. to the equator, close to Mexico, but for me growing up in South Louisiana, I will never forget. It was hilarious. The the time when I was just starting to clue in about this mold stuff and I'm talking to my mom and I go, who has lost, I think three homes in her, the course of her lifetime to hurricanes. And some of them like way worse than others, as far as yeah. like, there's no returning kind yeah. of lose the home versus yeah, we can't stay here anymore. You know, there's still yeah. some parts of the house left, but anyway, I said to her, mom, do you think that there's mold in the house? She just goes, of course there's mold. <laughs> I go, oh, okay. She goes, it floods. There's mold. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, oh, like we live below sea level down there. And, uh, and we have a house that's on the water that you have to take a boat to get to. And okay. they, they consider that's not our main home. That's like the weekend home. Sure. But of course people are late. They're sleeping in there. There's a bunk room. People go there for the weekend. and they just go after some even big storms. It's a success. All of the plugs and the outlets are up towards the roof. Like they're up towards the ceiling because like one or two inches, no big deal. Maybe even up to a foot, they're still okay with. And they just scrub it. They pressure wash it. They do all these things. Anything that was material, they do pull that out. Yeah. And then that's pretty much it. And it just keeps going on about its day. And so you know, me just sharing that with some of the functional medicine doctors that I've worked with here in Austin, they're just like, no, no. (laughs) Makes me so uncomfortable. I'm going to lose sleep over that. (laughs) So uncomfortable. Yeah. And they seem to be mostly fine. And I, I wound up doing some pretty extensive testing not that long ago. And the baddies that I think that Mm -hmm. you mentioned, the aspergillus something or other, Mm -hmm. I thought it was remarkable that I had And I'd done the whole glutathione detox process. Like I set Mm -hmm. myself up in order to do these kind of gnarly tests to determine, Mm -hmm. uh, because I specifically was like, I I want to know neurochemically what, like not even neurochemically, but just my brain, is it firing? Is it, Mm -hmm. is it due to the gut stuff or is it due to the mold stuff? Like I wanted to know what were the, what were the things that I am going to be tackling and then in what order and putting together a plan. And I was really, really curious about the mold because I've had some friends really, really be challenged with it. And I was Mm -hmm. like, He's like fingers crossed, like please, but the odds were stacked against me. So yeah. for it to say no was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Though they also told me that that's not necessarily a 100% indicator <laughs> that I'm not actually dealing with it, which I will cross that next bridge when I get there. But the main yeah. reason why I was so concerned with the mold, you know, re- very recently was because it's the one that I heard can cross placenta. So there's a lot of other things that I could be dealing with health-wise that could affect my fertility, like you were saying, the hormones and all of that. Uh, but this was one of the main ones that directly translates or like directly can affect a fetus, which mm-hmm. I, which of course, like hearing that, parts of me are like, no, that's scary. And then other parts of me, 
are like, okay, well I'm empowered and I'm not pregnant yet. So how do I, how do I go into that scenario more informed? Yeah. Which is also kind of interesting too, because I do see a lot of people um, in moldy homes get their gallbladders removed as well. And a common, a common symptom with mold toxicity is you'll get, uh, usually it's gallbladder referral. Your right shoulder blade tends to get inflamed or it feels like your shoulder's constantly out. Um, Cause I had mold toxicity myself, uh, wiped my brain out. I went borderline, like I was so dumb. I couldn't remember my name half the time, wow. but my shoulder was always going out and I had to get it adjusted like five, six times a week. And luckily I, have a, I had a buddy that was able to. And then I had, um, my wife and I came downstairs. We went to go take our dogs for a walk and it felt like somebody took an ice pick in my back or even like a wine opener and twisted it and brought me down to my knees. And I, I couldn't breathe. Like I was like, ah, and I just started crying. I'm like, I don't know what the heck is going on. And the meathead in me is like, I can get up and I can do this. And it was like, <laughs> cranked me back down again. But yeah, so a common, a common referral sign for mold toxicity is it does damage the gallbladder. So that may have been where you got your gallstones from. If that was like your homes and stuff growing up did have mold and you're not the first person to tell me Louisiana is very swampy down there for the moldy homes. Like it's, it's, it's tough, but yeah. um, maybe that kind of puts the, the answer on how, how you got those gallstones to begin with. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. It's the first time I'm hearing that. And I mean, this is the first time I'm hearing a lot of these concepts and a lot of these things. So I, of course, wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, my family's been down in South Louisiana for over 300 years. They are not moving. Wow. Yeah. It is, like <laughs> not moving. Uh, yeah. I am probably the only one. Okay. That I was like, I'm going to go forge my own path over here in a, in a less wet place, still yeah. wet. I was going to say, still wet. <laughs> less wet. But it is something that we're factoring into, you know, the home purchasing conversation. And yeah. I believe we have downstairs, we have an ERMI test yeah, to, to do a test in our home, which is E-R-M-I for those that want to look that up. And it's to test your home for various molds. But I did test my body first because I wanted mm-hmm. to see what was going on in my body. And then because we're renting in the place that we're in now, we're on the home search it didn't at first make sense for us to test the home when we knew we were going to be leaving. It's like the owner right. can figure that out if they want to figure, figure that out. out or they can ignore it. Cause that seems to be a thing here. <laughs> just like, we don't talk about mold. Yeah. Um, you have kids, right? Yep. Have you seen Encanto? Yeah. Okay. We don't talk about Bruno. Right. Yeah. We don't, we don't I, talk about for whatever reason. Just <laughs> it went into my head. I'm like, why did that just happen? Yeah. I'll go around half the day singing Encanto songs. I'm like, this is horrible. Sorry. Um, okay. but it's like, we don't talk about mold. So it's just yeah. funny. Cause every time I say we don't talk about, it, I'm like, Bruno. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I mean, Bruno yeah. hid behind the walls, mold hides behind the walls uh, a little bit. So same. I see <laughs> but, what you did I mean, there, Disney. Yeah. But the, the Ermi test, I'm, I'm glad, I don't know who told you to, to run that one, but that's like the gold standard. I've gotten so many arguments with people, mold specialists, et cetera, who are just doing air trap samples and like heated arguments where like these companies won't even talk to me anymore because and I use this guy as an example. He was a phenomenal patient. Um, him and his wife and his kids took care of their kids. They had some serious issues when they first came to me. And then uh, they were in the process of buying a home. And they bought this house, really nice farmhouse, all this land. They were so excited to grow and expand. And I'm like, hey, like you should pro- just test the house for mold before you go in it. Just play it safe because that's just my... I care about you as a family. Like, Please do it. And they're like, oh, it looks good. It looks good. 
within two months of being in the home, he had uh, like developed Bell's palsy, facial nerve paralysis. The left side of his face drooped down. His tongue wouldn't work. He wasn't able to move and he was just basically bedridden. And he's like, I don't know what, what's happening. His wife was calling me to talk for him because he couldn't talk. And I'm like, what happened in that house? And they're like, I don't know. We had, and I, so we had like these companies come out and they're like, oh, there's nothing in the house. You're totally fine. It's all in his head. Or it's totally fine. It's all in your head. So I'm like, let's just do the third time's a charm. This company comes out, rips out the, the wall and actually took a look behind. And there was just mold all along the walls. And they're like, don't come back into this house until we figure this crap out. So we detoxed him out. He's totally fine now. He's fully recovered. And he's since been able to go back into the house. But when you do go to make that home purchase, like we just bought this house and we, we army test this house as well, because we don't want to put a, a lump sum of money into a home that's just going to be hurting us the entire time. Because why? Why right. Well, that? and eventually your medical bills will wind up being about the same cost of the down payment of the house. Yes. You know, yes. especially if you're running in circles. Mm -hmm. Wild, 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 wild. So all things that we're considering when it comes to bringing in conceiving baby, bringing them into the world. And of course, like bringing them into their home environment. It just like kind of crushes me a little bit to think of the like little tiny lungs and they're battling with mm -hmm some stuff that's floating in the air that could possibly make them yeah. sick. And then also make us crazy. Like thinking about a little person that is in distress and the lack of sleep and the lack of food and just the worry that could be in that, be involved in that. And of course, like I think about my family in South Louisiana and, and even some of the people here and just all over the world, you know, just the general phrase of like, well, what are you going to do? You do. What are you going to do? <laughs> Yeah. Moving is not an option for, a, the, I would say the vast majority of the people. I feel very fortunate where if I knew I needed to go, I could figure it out. And, yeah. and I'm surrounded by people that, that have that privilege in a sense, but I know yeah. that there are some people that don't. And so, um, I kind of want to segue a little bit into ways that people can mm -hmm. optimize and maybe even some tips for people where they might be more or less stuck in a situation and, and it's their health and their family. So do you have like a specific question in that, that vein of things? Yeah, basically like, uh, okay, well, let's use just me as an example then, because that kind of makes okay. it easier. So ways that let's just say I do have some sort of, cause we haven't army tested our house. Let's say that there's some mm -hmm. kind of mold situation here. I, there's some kind of trouble or struggle that's going on here. Ways that I could, um, essentially try to help my health and my process, knowing that I do want to get into optimal health because I do, I am working towards uh, conceiving, what are some things that I could potentially do? Okay. So, um, I'll just say the hypothetical scenario, you, you just tested your house and you have mold in your home. Does that sound good? Sure. It doesn't sound good that you would have mold no, in your home. No, it sounds terrible. We'll, <laughs> we'll roll with that. So, um, definitely there's different things that you, you want to do in terms of a home standpoint. When you do run the ERMI test, if you look it up, the, um, there's an ERMI score and there's a hurts me score that goes with it. Hurts me. I just tell people, you know, how bad does the mold hurt me? Mm -hmm. So if it's really high, it does say that you want to get out of the house. That would be like step one. Uh, step two, if that's not the issue and you have like a little bit of mold or you just have mold in your body, doing some sort of like strong binder or doing like glutathione pushes, IV glutathione or doing like um, a Myers cocktail with like maximum glutathione can help to detox the mold out quite a bit. Um, sometimes the, the push out can be a little bit tough on, on you. So just, you know, do it to your tolerance. Um, infrared sauna 
is another phenomenal way to get mold out of the body. Um, it's not the same as just going outside and sweating. When you go infrared, it's getting at the, the cellular level and allowing those cells to purge out and get those things out. Um, I think I said this, but if you have a binder or some sort in there as well, that would be a good time to use that. If you're going into a sauna, that can help. Uh, and then like the, it's still helpful, but not the most helpful. If you do like an Epsom salt bath and try to get in there and get as warm as you possibly can to the point of sweating, you're not burning your skin. That helps to pull some of the toxins out through the pores and the skin as well. Um, that would be like a first start. Past that, knowing what molds you have, there's different mycotoxins get released in different ways. Uh, mycophenolic acid is really easy to bind out and get rid of. Um, there's actually a product that we use quite often um, that even if you don't know if you have mold, it works really well. It's called uh, Mold DTX from a company called Altuo. And they're super awesome. They send you like four bottles and you're supposed to be able to do it in like 50 days and you're supposed to be like mold-free. We use that for a lot of our patients as like a good push because there's supportive herbs and stuff in there. And usually after about the first two weeks, you start feeling pretty good. Um, just be careful with the dosing because it can be a little bit harsh. Some people can have like really bad symptoms with mold die off. And the, I've had patients who they can't, like I've had patients who have seized for 45 seconds, just stepping into a home with mold and they like, they stop, they reboot, and then they have to like wake back up from it. And those people need to be treated differently than somebody who didn't even know that they had mold in their body to begin with, but tested positive. So when I'm giving this advice, I'm trying to like be as safe as possible. If you don't have like a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor that know, like reach out to somebody, reach out to me if you need to. Um, so that way you're doing this responsibly, responsibly and not hurting yourself in the process. Um, those would be the main things that I would talk about in terms of mold to be able to try to help out as, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Yeah. And I think that there's some things that you, that you shared in there that that was mold specific, but there was so many little nuggets, like general mindset, general kind of rules of thumb that can be extrapolated into other circumstances too, that are just about general health and, and decision-making when it comes to, to health. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of friends that are, they sense mold as soon as they go into a place, Yeah, which is kind of wild. Cause I'm like, do you have some kind of sixth sense going on over there? Um, and those friends actually happen to be on a fertility journey as well. And mold detox happened to be a really big part of mm -hmm. their process and now wound up testing a home that they just purchased in Minnesota. And we're so, so stoked for them to actually yeah. uh, have their health under control and have the home under control and the space and everything. So it's even their nervous systems, knowing that they've detoxed in a particular way, their markers where there are and there and certain labs are a certain way. And like knowing that they have a home environment to bring a baby into is just like such a different, a totally different experience if they would have tried to keep forcing a home in Austin to work, which was really yeah. sad because we had some of our best friends wind up leaving specifically because of the mold situation here, but they're extremely sensitive and it happens yeah. to be both of them. So yeah, there's, um, there's usually a genetic component to it as well, yeah, where you'll yeah. have like the ultimate sniffer. Some people, again, they'll go, and I would usually call mold like the number one home record because one person will feel horrible and the other person feels totally fine. Totally fine. And so they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but it's, it's fortunate that both of them felt that and felt called to go somewhere else to, to get away from that environment. Cause it will help. Yeah, for sure. And they were also feeling it. I think he was feeling it for, um, what is it? What is it called? Whenever you have a new home or a new car VOCs. Oh yeah. He's really Volatile affected by organic chemicals. Yeah. He's really affected by VOCs as well. And mm -hmm. so they're both pretty sensitive. And so they couldn't even go for a brand new house. So that like yeah. really, really limited what they were choosing 
And mm-hmm. of course that affected finances and that all of that stuff affects stress. And then stress yeah. loops back around to the hormones. And it's just like this incredible <laughs> self-fulfilling prophecy. You know what yeah. I mean? Which is yeah. kind of wild. So uh, fertility specific question is, do mm-hmm. you think that the vast majority of people who are struggling with conceiving and starting their family or their next child. So I wound up, my sister got pregnant pretty easily with my first niece. And then it was a five-year delay after that before. And then at the time, I believe they called it second child, second infertility. I can't remember what it was, what it was called, but it was like the next child there's infertility. Uh, So do you believe that most experiences people with who are experiencing challenges with fertility it is reversible yeah yes i do i do feel that way especially based off the stress response too and after going from not having a kid to having a kid i mean parents especially moms go through the ringer in terms of stress and trying to do a good job and if you don't fix that stress then it will just compile and go over and start damaging the hormones which will make it more difficult to conceive but i have helped a lot of women who have had that exact actually one was on their second one. The other one was on their third one. Couldn't conceive for the longest time. And we were able to get them pregnant really easily. Wow. And so what do you think factored into that? Uh, the stress response was huge um, for the for the one patient. The other one that I know that I'm thinking of offhand was uh, the stress response as well as the digestive tract. So getting the gut fixed. Yes. So I feel like I'm well on my way with the whole digestive tract mm-hmm. situation. Let me just see myself in this Good. other patient of yours. Uh, the stress, the how do you help someone with their stress? Because it's like, oh, take baths and go for walks and fucking meditate or some shit. But the thought of those some days is stressful. (laughs) Yeah. So those are all great. They're all great therapeutic approaches, like holistic band-aids to try to, you know, suppress that or get the stress under control. But the big thing is making sure you have a proper adrenal analysis. So whether it's a salivary hormone, which is kind of the gold standard, uh, urinary adrenals is like second best. And then for God's sakes, if somebody's like, I got my blood cortisol tested, that's such a wasted marker. Just, I don't even know why they include, it's such a piece of crap marker. Um, you want to have like, ideally you'd have what's known as a cortisol awakening response, which is you wake up with 30 minutes upon waking up. What is your body doing? You're supposed to create about 50 to 60% more cortisol within 30 minutes of being awake than when you woke. And then you come back down a little bit and then through the rest of the day, you kind of just do like your normal line, trend line down to go to bed. And then same thing happens next morning. If you get that tested and you find out, Hey, I've got a phase one um, of adrenal exhaustion and I'll, I'll slow down my speech in this because this can be kind of heady stuff, but cortisol is inflammatory. It is catabolic. So it shoots up and it goes high. Normal stress response is cortisol goes high and then DHEA goes high as well. That's normal. And then you remove the stressor and then the stress response comes down, both go back to low. If you stay stressed for a long period of time or you stay in that fight or flight, whether it's from mold or struggling with fertility, you're constantly in that state of stress. Cortisol will stay high and DHEA will drop. And so you're more catabolic than your anabolic can actually recover. And then eventually cortisol tampers down and goes into a phase two. So the original high cortisol, low DHEA is a phase one. If we have normal to low cortisol and low DHEA, that's a phase two. But then as that progresses, both go even lower and you can have a flatline cortisol readout and that's going to be your phase three. So 
in terms of therapeutic approaches, there's specific herbs and things that you can use. I mean, everyone knows about adrenal adaptogens. Uh, some people know about medicinal mushrooms, reishi, and things like that that can help. But some of the most impactful things is the proper dosages between DHEA and pregnenolone. And that's based off of what your adrenal looks like or what your adrenals look like. Sometimes that's all you need to do is fix the adrenals and then boom, you're able to get pregnant and you're able to get that stress under control. So making sure you have the proper analysis is going to be the biggest thing because you can have crossovers of symptoms in all three categories. And so if you treat it just based off of assumption, you're going to get subpar results and then you're going to get frustrated, which is going to lead to more stress. (laughs) not to stress you out or anything. No, no. I mean, I think, so I recently did a two week trip to Peru and it was probably the week before I left. I could barely function. Stress was so at a peak for me that almost anything tipped me over the edge into complete nervous system activation uh, trauma response, you know, bit, bits of disassociation, some brain fog. It was just like pretty much anything and everything was a little bit too much or a lot too much. And then I went on the trip and was so like stressed about the trip and also looking forward to the trip. And the trip of course gave me a really big reset and, and I'm, I'm in the integration phase now post getting back from the trip and just really, really wanting to give myself more grace and more space, uh, because I can get really, really, really wrapped up with pretty much anything and everything that has to do with our business and everyone who works with us and, and for us eventually winds up relying on me to make decisions. And it doesn't matter how much delegating I do, they still want to know what my what I have to say, you know, and they'll create these really crafty, beautiful ways of making it make sense that I need to be the one that gives the final go. But when I was actually gone, they all function just fine without me. And I'm riding that train now of (laughs) y'all are good. You don't need me. And look how amazing these things are that you created. And also, you know, doing my best to untether myself from so much so that I can actually have space and breathe because I've gotten, I've gotten to a place where I'm like, I don't think we can start our family. And and I'm just going to keep extending this a year or a year or a year because waiting until we get to a certain place where I actually have more time or I am more calm or all, you know, I have all these different things that come to mind and I'm like, oh, this is never going to really truly make sense. How do I, how do I, and then the, the, the conversation of how do I make this happen? Yeah. That sounds stressful too. So it, it's certainly all a big thing that's factoring into creating an environment that we're that we're proud of, and and maybe there'll be a time when we'll actually just say fuck it, let's do it, and be inspired by the fact that this must happen now. Yeah, and I think this is something I do talk about a, a lot with my patients as well. Is that you? you there's two things you can think about. If you're planning to become pregnant, I don't even like saying trying because yeah. to try is to lie, to do is to be true. But um, I like that. Yeah, it was a uh, John Martini quote. But um, so you're either, you should either be acting as if you are already pregnant or acting as if you already have a child. What do you want your life to look like? Because children, I mean, even if you're working to conceive, they don't always go 
like if you're like, Hey, I want a baby by June 22nd of this year. Okay. Boom. Man-made time. Boom. And I tell people, I'm like, you can't put a man-made time on a God-given event, or you can't put a man-made time on a miracle. And it's whenever your body is ready and, and you feel like the spirit is going to come to you and give you this baby, you should, you better be freaking ready now. If this is something that's even like a, a blink in your eye or like a, a thought or a glimpse in your eye, you have to, you have to do that now because it's never going to happen when you assume it to happen, even though you can try to control it as much as possible. But I can tell you when, when Megan and I got pregnant, we, financially, we weren't in a place that, to have a kid. I'm like, oh, shoot. Like I did, uh, <laughs> I ended up going for extra work and I, I did uh, a modeling uh, commercial for Molino, like a flooring company in Pittsburgh. And so I did a, a commercial. I was trying to like make ends meet. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? We need the money. How are we going to make this into our schedule? I'm working too much. And now I work 16 hours a week with two kids. And I love it because I was able to build my, my business around my life, not my life around my business. And what's more important to me is my strong why is I want to be able to be there for my kids, for my family, so I can show up at 100% and not be distracted. So being able to experience that and that freedom from it, it can sometimes be like, a, oh man, like you don't need me. And that like your, your mental significance level kind of drops down. So I'm like, oh, like I thought everybody needed me. But then if you look at it through a different lens, you're like, they didn't need me. This is amazing. Which means if I give them an inch, I can give them a little bit more than a little bit more. And then all of a sudden you're just in that CEO position and you're just doing damage control if need be. You're still a part of it, but then you're able to be you and you're able to be pre present as a, a pregnant woman or as a mom. And I think it's a beautiful thing to already be thinking that way so it doesn't catch you by surprise. Yep. I think they're all thinking that too, because we really so badly want to create. And of course, we're, we're trying to uh, embody and implement concepts that we just haven't, we haven't experienced yet. And so, and that can be challenging though. Yes, I might be next on, you know, logically I might be first or next on the list of people on our team that will go on this journey. That's not a guarantee. Somebody else, uh, right. though it will be each one of us at some point. And so creating an environment where we can all step back and step back in, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and pick up the slack for other people so that they have the, enough space in order to be able to be present with these really big fundamental life-changing kind of scenarios and situations. I certainly didn't feel, oh my gosh, I'm irrelevant. I did not feel that. <laughs> I was like, great, I'm just going to disappear into this bush. Um, yeah, there you go. No, into the into the Peruvian mountains. You just call me yeah. when you absolutely need me. <laughs> um, so I have a couple friends that are uh, going through IVF right now. Mm -hmm. Do you think now they're going through IVF? I think that there's a yeah. difference between uh, well, there is a difference between mm -hmm. there's challenges in conceiving and there's all mm -hmm. these markers and stress and hormones and all those all of that, and then one of them, their husband was born without a vast deference. So okay. there's really no other way around. It. This yeah, is the exactly. process in order to get pregnant. And then the other uh, friend, her husband got a vasectomy and then did a reversal and they thought that the reversal was good, but then the reversal wound up getting scar tissue and they, yeah. he basically has the same thing going on as the other person. Sure. Is that the vast deference is, you know, the not functioning effectively. So they're right. both in this kind of IVF process. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. So both of the, the women there are healthy and ever, mm -hmm. all the markers look good, everything. In theory, yeah. they would be able to get pregnant. 
uh, naturally and all that. So that's one thing that's different to right. everything's functioning. Things are moving. Um, do you think sometimes people jump to IVF too soon? Yeah, that's uh, one of the things I talk about uh, as well is the peer pressure on it. Um, and I, I hate the, the, the medical justification for being turned infertile. You usually have to go an entire year without conceiving. And so if you extrapolate that, that's 12 times you have to fail in a month, you know, in, in a year before you're able to like seek any treatment. And in that, you just keep beating yourself up time in and time out and just again and again. And it's hard not to. I mean, the conversation around like friend circles is like, hey, uh, or, or like parents, like, when are you going to get pregnant? Oh, you're not getting, why don't you just try IVF? You know, Susie over here, your sister did IVF and she's got a kid. Why don't you just do that? What? So the societal or the peer pressure around either when you're supposed to have a kid, when it's safe to have a kid in terms of your age, which I hear all the time, um, there's so much pressure where people, it's just in a way, it's the easy way. I, I don't even want to say it's the easy way out. It's just, it's the most commonly force fed thing in order to get pregnant. Just do IVF. It's easier. Oh my gosh. Watching them go through the process looks excruciating. It's uh, again, there's a time and a place and those, those are very unique situations, but sure. you, you have to be, there's so many risks and complications and stuff that comes from IVF. You know, you have an increased risk in miscarriage. They don't work all the time. You, they're costly. They're, your child can have a seven times higher risk childhood cancer. You know, there's like all of these things tend to go into place. And if, if in particular, if mama's not healthy, then what's going to happen afterwards is you hit the, the postpartum depression and your progesterone, your hormones tank. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, you can have suicidal thoughts. You can have the yeah. depression. You can not breastfeed your child because you, you weren't ready to conceive. So when you're going this route, I'm not saying don't ever do IVF. Just know all the facts and all the information before you go through on that. So that way you are fully educated on the topic. It is Googleable if you want to Google it. Just type in like PubMed and then type in some sort of fertility topic or NCBI and then a fertility topic and you'll find scholarly journal research articles on what you might be looking at. And yeah, it's just, it's sad to see it, but I do see that as a trend where a lot of people are going IVF, um, and then past IVF, they're going with uh, cesarean delivery and that stacks in a whole other host of problems that happens. So it's, yeah, it's a lot. That was me. That was a C-section baby formula fed immediately and, Mm -hmm. uh, antibiotics in my head immediately. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm just, I'm a walking miracle that I'm even still functioning. No, I joke all the time. Like I'll have something like go a little sideways and I'll tell my mom, you know, and she'll go, let me guess. It's because I didn't breastfeed you. And I'm like, well, I'm not, we can't say for sure. That's not the reason why I'm like this, you know, (laughs) not confirming nor denying that, but but I think, you know, yeah, she did what she had to do to get by. And she's a single military mom and knew she had to go back to work within the six week mark. And she did what her doctor said. Her doctor said you had a C-section with the first child 13 years prior. You Mm -hmm. have to have a C-section with your second and any child that you have after that, because my sister was Mm -hmm. breached, which they told her there was no way to turn her around. And like, I have a friend that turned her breech baby around with burning some shit by her toes and some oils. And I was like, you're out of your mind Mm -hmm. anyway. And then, and then it worked. 
And yeah. anyway, and, um, and then they, they, you know, at that time it was being touted that, uh, formula was better than mm-hmm. breast milk. And so I wound up and she had a, she had a UTI. So she had, mm-hmm. you know, something going on down there, UTI. I wasn't even born vaginally. I don't know what the yeah. whole process was there, but they immediately <laughs> put me on antibiotics. And so it's just so wild now as an adult, what could it be stemming from some of those challenges where sheer information and, and you know, like we have so, such access to technology and so utilize it. So many people I see, you know, and, and it, it's hard sometimes not to judge where I'm like, you'd rather play candy crush. I think candy crush is still a thing. You anyway, metaphorically candy crush, rather play candy crush than get the information that you actually need because everyone mm-hmm for the most part that I see has access to a phone, some kind of cellular device. And almost every cellular device these days has access to the internet, which is all the information. It's any degree worth of information that you could possibly want. And so my hope is that I don't want to shame people into like going and seeking more. I want to inspire them into going and seeking more. I live the vast majority of my life, not seeking and just going very robotically through, through life. And living in the box that was bestowed upon me based off of my upbringing and faith and religion and all of that stuff. And now I've chosen something different. And I think that, you know, hopefully this podcast is something that has been birthed out of wanting to help people be able to see more of the boxes that they might be living into or have the little light bulbs that go off that change their whole trajectory of their life or their family's lives. And, uh, yeah. Thank you for coming on to the show. I know that that went all over the place. Absolutely. I was really excited to talk about some of the things that were more <laughs> personal. I know that we originally were like, we're going to talk about fertility and we yeah. mostly, and we sort, we mostly ish. <laughs> I did my very best at merging the two yeah. together, but I'm like, tell me about mm-hmm. mold. Like I just, I, everything that is your subject matter is so relevant. And, um, to me on an individual level, and, and I want to shout it from the rooftops, of course, there's, uh, you know, there's things that, I have this like little piece in my brain when things get really tough with mm-hmm. it, with regards to health, where I go, these people are just a bunch of crock. Like this is just a crock of shit. And all they want me to do is buy a bunch of supplements. This never ends. This mm-hmm. never ends. And I'll get sassy. And I'm probably about to have my period. And the moment when that happens where I'm like, <laughs> you're fucking lying to me. Like you just, you mold is the answer that molds what you say to everything. Yeah. Like, and I get really mm-hmm. sassy and yeah. then I have my next breakthrough. And then I just go take my seat. Yeah. You know, where I'm like, I'm just going to be quiet now for a minute. Like I actually pooped <laughs> every day this week. It did yeah. lead me somewhere. Yeah. <sighs> so like, I know some people have those thoughts and those feels when it comes to functional medicine and all that. And it's expensive. Mm-hmm. I won't even, you know, shy away from that topic of conversation. I mean, yeah. there's so much of what I I've had done in the, the different tests where I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And then I get the bill on the other side. And I'm like, well, I, Insurance covered five cents of that. <laughs> the other $600, let me just go yeah. ahead and like find where that's going to come from or, you know, because it's yeah. usually that's one of many things that's, that's happening at any right. given time. So my last, last question that I have, and, and I'm noticing like where, where we're at on the show and I still have like two or three more, but I'm only going to ask like one and a half and then we'll be that's done. Fine. Ask okay, as great. Many great, as great, 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 great. Don't tell me that. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> so there's a couple of things. I, what are your thoughts on modern fertility? Modern fertility? Modern fertility. Have you looked at any of the information for modern fertility? To me, it seems a little bit basic, but I did it recently. And I don't no, know if you've I, seen. I'm not, okay. Mm-mm. I know a Dutch test. 
I believe a yeah. Dutch test is like way mm-hmm. more extensive. So, oh yeah. That's we use that. Yeah. Yes. And so I haven't done one of those yet. And so I'm leading, there's like a two part to this question it has to do with various tests that you would recommend. Yeah. The first sure. is more personal. So I did a, a modern fertility, which would, let's just call it a very basic, more simple at kit that you do. Uh, and then, you know, the information comes in from modern fertility and it checks ovarian reserve and the general big key hormone players. Right. So for me, I wound up with a slightly elevated FSH, molecular uh-huh. stimulating, hormone. stimulating hormone. What could it mean? <laughs> Did you have prolactin measured on that or luteinizing hormone measured on that? Yes. And I, everything okay. else was normal. Everything was okay. normal except for that one was slightly elevated. Okay. So follicle stimulating hormone, it's a signal from the brain to basically say, hey, you know, get the follicles to stimulate. There could be an adrenal component to it that could cause, sometimes it can cause hyperstimulation or hypostimulation to it. Um, but usually the follicle stimulating hormone, you would want it to be active because it means it's stimulating hormones, it's stimulating the growth of the actual follicles. If luteinizing hormone goes too high, then that's more like a PCOS type presentation, which usually FSH would then shut down um, because you won't stimulate any follicles with an increase in luteinizing hormone. So it means nothing. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly, yeah. You would need more. You would need more information. Okay, so it's like a cliffhanger question. You know, of course, I they you have to test on a certain day. It was probably day nineteen of the cycle mm-hmm. and all that, and um. I just, it was just funny because I'm like, what do I do with that? What does that mean? Does that mean all my eggs are going to be gone? You know, and (laughs) I panic. I'm like, am I, am I, I'm one of the lucky few in the world that has a 26 day cycle, meaning I have like a whole extra period. And it kind of feels like I'm always almost about to have my period. As as far as the people who love me are concerned, it kind of feels like that. Or it's like, well, didn't you just have your period? I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. It does feel that way, doesn't it? Where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm losing an extra egg every year and I'm 33 right now. And if I want two or three kids and I'm like, and I lay out the whole, if I, you should have heard me the day that I actually laid out the whole plan for Jordan. And I'm like, (laughs) so basically, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, 35, it's geriatric pregnancy. What are we going to (laughs) do? I hate that term so much. Are you an antique? Like what? Right. I just imagine like I'm I'm practically in the nursing home and I'm trying to be pregnant. Like it's just, I couldn't, I couldn't, but I did, I did have to process and go through my initial panic of we're getting married at this time and like business looks the way that it looks. And so like, what, what is, when is going to really that's our timeline where we really will be in some ways ready, checking boxes yeah. ready for this. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well then the first one, and then I'm going to birth at 34. And then I have to wait a certain length of time to put my body back together and figure out if I want to do this again and like get my wits mm-hmm. about me to then conceive again and like get my body ready for another pregnancy. And like, I'm, I laid all of that timeline out and I'm like, and then I'm 40, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I'm possibly on baby two or possibly on baby three. Um, if we want to have a family. Of that size, mm-hmm. it kind of makes like catches in my throat just saying it like <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that's certainly like I see that FSH up there and then I up there slightly high and I'm like yeah. panicking, like I'm not gonna have enough eggs. Don't yeah, don't worry too much about that. And and in terms of when you're when you're doing the Dutch test as well, based off of what you're kind of saying there too, I would maybe it's a 
it's a lot more expensive of a test, but um, I would potentially say do a cycle map, a Dutch uh, cycle map. Uh, you'll do like a full month worth of samples. So it's a lot more intense, but it'll tell you exactly what your estrogen, your progesterone, like your metabolites and stuff are doing all throughout that, as well as give you like the beautiful printout of where your hormones are going and flowing. So you'll be able to like put your finger on it. If you're like, Hey, super emotional on day five, you could see like a giant estrogen spike. Like my estrogen spike is happening too soon based off of my cycle length. And then you could do programs where you can actually like shift and change the cycle within about three months or so to, to normalcy, which is, I think that would help you if you, if you were going to do that test. Yeah, I probably, I probably will shits and giggles. Cause I'm a masochist like that. I'm like, what's the next test I can put money towards <laughs> at this point? I'm like, just, yeah. give it to me. just give me all of them. Like, let's just yeah, figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you what though, the, uh, mycotox, not mycotoxin. Um, it is a mycotoxin. The one you poop in a tray. No, that's the, uh, that's great a stool plains. test. No, is that a great plains? It's a stool test. Is you do, it? No, you do GI no, map. GI. Genova? Yes. That one. Genova. Yeah. That's I'm going for Genova. Talk yeah. about a humbling experience, that one. Yep. Scooping okay. poop out of a fry but container. At that, yes, exactly. But at that point in time, I like I didn't have any of those that information, what was in my mm -hmm. stool, and it was kind of like a I'd wake up every day and go, poop today. Please. Because I was just constipated. I couldn't make it happen. Like, yeah. how am I supposed to do a poop test if I can't ever make it happen? And eventually I got it. So well, that do you know how general. bad that is for your hormones, by the way? Like not pooping. Not pooping. Yeah. It's bad for everything. That? Well, yeah, obviously like it's bad for mood. It's bad for hormones, increases stress, but there's, there's a, there's three different phases of estrogen breakdown in the body or catabolism. So you have your primary estrogens, they break down. Then you have your secondaries, which get methylated through the liver. And then they go out into the colon. And if you're not pooping, you can increase an enzyme in your stool called beta-glucuronidase, which is a fun word to say. You should be a rapper. You should take all these words in and like bust a rise. Maybe I'll try that. I'll make a real out of it and see what happens. Exactly. <laughs> but but what that does is it, it takes the... Um, so you, you have like these perfect presence of estrogen dropped into your stool. Beta-glucuronidase will come and basically unpackage it, throw it back into the bloodstream and lead to a third phase of like estrogen dominance. So people are like, hey, I'm, I'm so estrogenic, but my hormones look normal. Well, if you're not shitting... Well, it's because you're recirculating that estrogen back into your body. And it's actually a cancer marker too, because if you've got cancer growing somewhere that's estrogen receptor positive, you're throwing fertilizer estrogen into the bloodstream to get carried to wherever that blood needs to go to the cancer. So it's super like massively important. Like women, you have to be pooping. Normal bowel movements is like two to four a day, which sounds crazy to a lot of people, but it's so true. You have to, <laughs> Alexa, you have to. <laughs> Okay. Yep. I started going to, I started going to, I started getting colonics, which are also a hum, very humbling experience. Yes. I have not put coffee in my butt yet, but I yes. have all of the items. Yeah. In, I've had all the items for a while. Um, but I'm telling I, you, once, once you do that though, once you do a coffee, I'm like, trust me, I'm a guy. It's humbling for me. I do them all the time. But when you do it, like you feel so good and so clean afterwards. And you talk about bloat, like just disappearing, just the, the removal, even if you don't get stones out, just removing any infl inflammatory placking, mucus, et cetera, in your belly and your gut, it just empties it out and makes you feel so good and so clean afterwards. It's, it's like nothing else. I promise you. Oh my gosh. Whole separate 
conversation podcast about like sticking stuff in your butt. Yeah. Segway. <laughs> oh my gosh. I actually, I, it's really funny. Do you want to say this? Maybe I don't want to say this. <laughs> just say it. If it's on your mind, just say it. I mean, I think about, okay, so any kind of anal play hasn't been a, it hasn't even been a consideration because I don't trust anything that had been happening in my gut. And because of bloating and because of not going Mm -hmm. to the bathroom, constipation, I even over, over Christmas was, I think, I think the term is impacted. Like I couldn't go, I could feel it was right there. It, it could not move. I was in, I was in so much pain and it was Christmas day. I was at my house. I have pictures of how puffed out my belly was. And I just was like crying about it. I'm like, I don't even know what to do. And so like even the idea of here and here I am teaching people on how to like loosen and relax for anal pleasure and all that. I'm like, don't even fucking come close. Like not like things are not right (laughs) there. So fast forward and I'm actually going pretty much every day now, especially since I've come back um, from Peru, which feels really good. I don't know if it's the altitude or what happened to me there. Just the fact that I relaxed. Could be the relaxation's huge. Yeah, it's huge. I've had yeah. I've had patients. I actually just talked to a woman today who she would never go to the bathroom during a week because she would be too stressed out and she'd be working, working, working. And then Saturday and Sunday was her like, "Hey, I'm on the toilet all day days." And then Monday would come again, and then boom, do wow. that. And then it can. The more you do that, yeah, it does lead into fecal impaction where it's it's so hard to break that stuff up and get that stuff out. Yeah, insane. So yeah. So back to the thing that I like wanted to say, but didn't want to say. Uh, but it was mostly, it's mostly to do with the colonics, like actually laying on the table and having that happen. So she instructed what to do. And the next thing I know, I've got this thing in my butt and it's no big deal. And it mm-hmm. reminded me that anal things are much more simple than yeah. I was making it out in my head. At other times in my life, it wasn't that big of a deal, but because of this situation. Um, and then the first time I had a, a colonic done, it was, it was actually incredible. Like yeah. there were chunks and pieces that she was having me look through this, you know, the, and we're not even talking about this today, but my, all my okay. listeners are getting, they're getting all the details, <laughs> all the personal info. But just, I remember her just going like, do you see the, whoa, <laughs> like the Milky yeah. Way path, like a cosmic, yeah. what is that? like yeah. a, you know, a comet going by like really fast through, <laughs> through the water system. And she's like, did you see the mucus that was on that? She's like, this is a byproduct of dot, 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 dot. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. And I remember just feeling like pieces and parts from that, that are inside that, that waste that I could not pass. And -hmm. of course, creating a pretty toxic environment in there. And so me just generally feeling better, of course, that leads to me being a more pleasant partner and Mm -hmm. that leads to more intimacy. So that, that's a, that's a loop in it back around leads to more intimacy that leads to, uh, yeah, being excited to start our journey. With regards to starting our family. So the last, last question was, so I don't leave everybody hanging, uh, the <laughs> tests that you would recommend, like your favorite tests and yeah. um, what to do. If they look into those tests, they want to have a professional read them. Because I think a lot mm-hmm. of them, you can get the results back, possibly. Mm-hmm. Some of them you yep. go, you have to go through uh, a, a provider. provider. Yeah. And some you can get the results back, but you might, it might look one way, but the person who is a professional at reading it would see something totally different. Right. Yeah. My, my main test that I, I go off of, um, the first one is from Diagnostic Solutions Laboratory and it's called a GI map. It's my favorite stool test to run, uh, especially because it has the H. pylori marker on there. 
uh, and beta-glucuronidases wound up in there as well. Um, I do like, if you've got a perfectly normal cycle, you know, it's 28 days, 30 days on a spot, like boom, 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 it's perfect. And you don't really have too many PMS type symptoms. Do a Dutch plus, which is the full analysis plus salivary adrenals. If you have a crazy cycle, if you have endo, if you've got PCOS, or if you just don't have a cycle or amenorrhea, then do the Dutch cycle map. And the Dutch, you can order it from their site um, if you want to get that test. I know that one for sure. I don't know about the GI map. Um, those would be like the top two. Past that, if somebody's having like, if you've got digestive issues, you're not going to the bathroom. I'd run a food sensitivity panel on you as well. Uh, I use Vibrant America for that. That's my, my go-to company. Um, you should be able to order their tests. And then if you think that you've got mold toxicity, you could do a mycotoxin panel. That's again, or heavy metals. That's kind of like my extracurricular ones. If you know you've been in a horribly moldy environment or you still currently are, you're probably going to want to start with that because you're going to have to talk about remediation, remodeling and stuff at the house. Um, or if you've been like, um, I know a lot of like uh, pilots and stuff, um, whether they're in the, the Air Force, they're around a lot of exhaust fumes. A lot of times heavy metals, uh, people from Pittsburgh are like just saturated. That's where I'm from, saturated with heavy metals from just like the coal industry and steel industry and all of that. So the t I would just say in a quick synopsis, GI map, okay, um, doing one of the versions of the Dutch tests and probably a food sensitivity test would be the three starts. And then if you need an additional auxiliary one, do a heavy metals from Great Plains Laboratory or um, do the uh, the mycotoxin test from Great Plains. Yay. I feel good about all the things <laughs> that I've done recently. Yeah. You're on because, the right track. Because sure. it, I mean, a lot of what you just said. Yeah. I think my, the next on my list would be to dig a bit deeper into the Dutch test. Yeah, if then... you have any questions, I mean, just shoot me a message and I'll help you out with that. No problem. Thanks. Jack. <laughs> you bet. So where do you want people to find you? They're like, I like uh, this guy. He sounds level-headed. He knows what's up. Family guy, <laughs> all of that. And they're like, I want him to be my doctor or how you be the place that they start this journey. Yeah. What does it look like? Yeah. So, um, the easiest thing to do is, is find me on, uh, Instagram. So it's, uh, doc jock. Uh, I think it's doc underscore jock actually. And, um, or you could go docjock.com. And I have a podcast too, the doc jock show where I talk about a lot of this stuff as well, just free useful information. Cause my mission is to get as much free information out there as possible. So that way people can make educated decisions when it comes to their health. Yay. Okay. Can you spell doc jock for them? Cause they might spell <laughs> that J O C K. Yes close. Uh, so it's D-O-C underscore and then J-A-C-Q-U-E. Thank you. We'll also have it linked you all bet. over the place. Thank <laughs> you so much. Of course, this was just so much great information and hopefully it didn't break too many brains, you yeah. know? Um, or just watch it and listen to it again. Yeah. I mean, yeah you don't just do it again. It. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, give some space and time, take a portion of it because there was a lot that we covered. Uh, and take yeah. a portion that really stands out to you. Maybe there was a set of symptoms that we talked about or something that you're also looking forward to, maybe a second baby or babies in general, or maybe not wanting to conceive or whatever it is. It's something that we spoke about that stood out to you. Just one rabbit hole at a time, y'all. Instead of yeah. going, oh my gosh, there's so much that I need to learn or I so, so much that I need to do. It's one rabbit hole at a time. And don't go like so deep in the rabbit hole. Just go like towards the shallow wind of it, yeah. you know, before you move on to the, to the next thing. And, um, 
yeah, this is a journey. There's a reason why they call it a journey. The journey is the destination. Uh, because when you think that maybe there's a certain end, you'll realize there's a whole next phase of whatever that journey is. And I think the main thing out of this is take control over your health and be curious and give yourself permission to ask questions and and seek the advice and the counsel that really feels good and true for you. And so, yeah, that's my piece on it. Anything else? No, I think I just want to reiterate that. Yeah, the the summary summary of this whole thing is just make sure that you're empowered. And then when you said about, you know, find somebody in your circle that you trust, like you don't have to come to me, but I want you to know that you should feel good. You should in your gut, your intuition should be like, okay, I like this person. I like him. I like her, whatever it is. Um, I, I like this person. They feel good to me. But if you're not getting results with somebody that you may have thought was a good person or was great for you, then maybe they were good in that season. And there's nothing wrong with finding somebody else to take a look that just might be a little bit differently. So don't feel shame or nervousness or anything about that. And you know, I, I think that's the biggest thing that people need to do and know, especially with this topic. So that way they can get the results they're looking for. Mm. I appreciate you and the work that you do in the world. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and going over time for all my listeners. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.